Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Dustin Howard. I'm Adam Ballard. Matt Carmack. And I'm Devlin Smith, and we're here for your thrice annual uh, Empire of Dust uh, Army review. Uh, we've got the A-team of Empire of Dust uh, U.S. players back together, and we are looking to uh, expound upon what's happened over the last year and a half with uh, the transition to third edition and then the, uh, the limited cock pack that we got over the last year, you know, that was kind of... Um, muted by COVID, so we didn't get a full rollout, but um, we just want to get together, have the the most brilliant uh, Dusty Minds and Kings of War talk together about um, Empire of Dust and what's changed, what they like about the new list, what they don't like, and how they play their armies. So we've kind of overdone this a little to death over the last few years, so what we're going to do is rather than go unit by unit, because we've done that in the past ad nauseum, we're just kind of going to touch on some highlights, talk about the identity of the army, how we build our list, what some underrated things are, and go on from there. So first thing I kind of want to talk about is kind of tee it off about what we consider is the um, the Army's strong point. And I'm going to throw this over to Dustin because he wants to talk a lot about this. But uh, So Dustin, take it away. The thing I like the most is having a whole Army that's fearless. No more lucky double sixes, no one trying to get a waiver. I'm always going to activate. You can't stop me. That's probably, I think, the biggest thing we have. Surge, we, well, we have the most surgeable items, uh, but I, uh, I know one of my partners and me agree, we pay a lot for Surge. Like, we pay a lot. Uh, the one benefit we have other than fearless and a lot of shambling so we can work the angles a lot as a Surge guy is we have the greatest living legends Yep, and one of the other things is just the grind, the ability to grind with, like Dustin touched on, the um, just being dashed, but there's a lot of heal, there's a lot of drain life, there's a lot of high defense, and we have some of that paired with crushing while we don't have the best kind of attacks because a lot of it's melee four other than the uh, pharaohs or the enslaved guardians. We do get a lot of that. So, um, Adam, do you want to kind of touch a little bit on that real quick? Yeah, I mean, the enslaved guardians are great, the pharaohs are great, but... I think it really comes down to the uh, more the, the quantity and the ability that we have to uh, put what I call kind of unique damage in, where it's not just going to be a straight up, just face on face, let's see who's going to roll better, let's see who gets the alpha strike. A lot of times it's we, you know, we'll throw in something that may not be up to par matchup wise, but we get that drain life in or we get that, you know, assistance with a surge flank. Um, It's just a lot of sneaky damage that we can get with this army that a lot of people underestimate. You know, you look at it on paper and it's like it really shouldn't do a whole lot, but once you see it on the table and in the hands of some of the best players in the in the U.S., 
it, it can be devastating. Right. Um, and we touched about this a little bit last time, but Matt, you, you have a little bit of an interesting twist on your list. So you have a lot more faster units, but you still kind of stay true to try to pin it in place for a second and then hit some flanks. So you want to talk about your list composition a little bit and how you still achieve that? Most of the Dust players are looking at trying to do kind of a grindy style. And, and I would say that my list still does that. Like that's, that, that has not changed. Um, it's just that the, the style is more... I wouldn't call it Alpha Strike. Like, Undead is still the, the king of Alpha Strike. They have the most units that can actually hit things and hit hard. Uh, what Dust can do that is better than Undead is they can hit and pin things in place with a little bit of extra speed, and then because they can pin things, they can then isolate and uh, eliminate the key units they need to to actually win a game. And that's that's the style I kind of play. Um, and, and I still... I have stubbornly stuck with Dust with that style despite all the changes that have, that have hit it over the, the last year, which there have been a lot. All right, so let's talk a little bit about scenario play. Uh, that has to go into a lot of our games because pretty much what 11 out of the 12 uh, are scenario, then we have kill out there. So um, let's, uh, let's go back to you, Matt. Just what are some of the things in scenario play that you think Dust does really well as opposed to some other armies? Uh, if I had to pinpoint Dust's strong points, any sort of scenario where Dust does not have to move a lot which is going to be a, a common theme here, I think, even among the, the slower Dust armies, uh, because most of them are going to be slower, uh, is du Dust is a slow list. You do not get to move a lot over the course of the game. You get a lot of surge, you get a lot of sneaky tricks, but the overall speed of the list is you, you don't get to march. Most of your units are speed five or, or maybe six, and you're not getting to march, so you've got to kind of pick your battles. So quarter tables is usually not... You, you're going to pick four out of six for, for any scenario that has any sort of objective play. You're going to pick the, the minimum to win, and you're going to focus on those, which should be the same for most armies, but, like, Dust really has to focus in on that. Um, they, they, you're not playing for a lot of big, massive 20-0 wins a lot of the time. You're playing for the... Uh, the, the minor win, and then if you get something from that, then you push it. And Dustin's here making a face at me, so I think we should pass it over to him here. No, 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 no. Mostly it's like about like loot. We have one yeah. thing that can march, right? Yeah. It was like, okay, that's that's good. The other thing is, I don't know. I kind of think EOD's fast, but I play it like super aggressively, more than my other armies. So, because I don't think I ever finish without in somebody's deployment zone with EOD. Like, I've played, I think, everybody at this table with EOD at least once. And that's why, like, I always go... Because it's an army that can survive, the withering the gunfire. But you're right, objectives, control, if you play against our boy Travis's goblins or any trash-based list, you don't want to play control, evade, those are your two weaknesses. But, uh, like, dominate. We're the kings of dominate. Like, the only handful, maybe elemental spam, that's about it. They can rival us. I don't like loot, but... Hey, movement's, yeah, movement five is still, you know, it, it's conducive enough to get you across the halfway part of this. I'd also throw push in there as one of our weakest scenarios. I, I would say that push is actually, I'd argue, one of our strongest ones, but mostly just because of how I play push. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe your list sure. is better at push than mine, but mine I find if it, you know, put the tokens on the monolith and pray to God they don't kill it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think something can be said for just kind of if you're holding on to the tokens and push so you have like control of it, you can kind of just, you know, guardrail a unit across. Eventually they'll survive because our stuff's really survivable if we can kind of limit what hits it. But um, from like a loot perspective, trying to rush out there and get things early if you're playing a faster army uh, against a faster army, it can be to your detriment because something can run up, get those tokens, and then kind of pass it back. So um, let's let's keep on that kind of theme and say what kind of armies do we not like to play against. So I'll throw this over to you, Adam. Um, trying to think. Uh, well, in general, one uh, coming from playing from elves, um, I feel like um, my Empire Dust Army is just much more well-rounded to uh, face a variety of different armies. Um, whereas my, my elf army definitely has some clear disadvantages in matchups. I don't ever feel like I'm at a disadvantage in any matchup, but I also never feel like, oh, this is an easy win. Like, it, Empire Dust, uh, the way I play it at least, everything's a battle. Um, and a lot of times I would say more elite armies are usually a better matchup, but that's not to say that, like, uh, trash armies or like you know the horde heavy horde armies are are a bad matchup, just because we have the tools and abilities to pick them apart, and, and that's kind of the thing. Empire Dust has a big toolbox and is able to handle most armies, uh, if not all armies, in in the right matchup in the right scenario, and it, it all comes down to really experience with those. So I, I wouldn't say that we have a bad matchup per se. Dustin, do you have anything thrown in there? I can always throw something in there. Uh, now, the biggest one I got to agree with is I don't like trash when it comes to invade. But other than that, I really don't care. Because we, like both of my compatriots have said, it's, we really don't have, it's a very good toolbox army. If you know how to play it, you should be able to beat anybody. If you have a snare, I don't care if I'm hitting you in the flank. So it's not going to matter. We have cheap drops. We have good elite. We have good, we have the best soldier, uh, drain life, correct? I was like, uh, 200 millimeters could hold two objectives. So when you place objectives, you could hold it with one horde of skeletons. So you could hold it so you don't even have to invest in chaff, which is we have good removal and we have good chaff. All right, so we've touched a little bit about on play styles and what we play into, what we don't play into well, or the answer is we play into everything well because we're good. Uh, but... Uh, what um, let's let's talk about what has changed uh, in the transition from uh, second to third, and then from you know that first release of third over into the the new cock pack. So I'm gonna throw it back over to you, Dustin. Let you start talking about it. Well, they took my giants 19 nerve away, so I go down to 18. So I can no longer do my rally one combos with it. So nice kind of sad. But as a whole, I think we benefited. Shobik got cheaper, which everyone agrees with. Uh, I used to be the only one taking Shobik. Now you, you're stupid if you don't take Shobik. Like, he's the closest thing to an auto-include we have. Uh, on top of that, we have RevCav now, which we never had before. Rev, I'll let Matt talk about that one, so I'll save that for him. And Chariots, I'll save both of those for him. And uh, But we have so many more options. The Bone Dragon, which I liked on the 50 mil, I didn't think I was going to like it on 75 mil, but that one extra nerve, that one extra attack, I don't really find the base that impeding any, so the Bone Dragon's good. You still have the same good unlocks. If anything, I think we improved in the addition, rather than some other armies that regressed. 
Did you find that between Vanilla Third and the first Cock Edition, when we didn't have um, chariots to unlock, were you were you struggling to play? I know you kind of took a sabbatical for Dust for that period, but did you play around with lists? Did you see much there? I still played. I was played with lists. I got went more on Slave Guardian heavy at that point. Like I take, uh, I t- I've ran in everything from two legions of chariots back then it was hordes to a legion with two regiments uh, back then it was different but uh running those were i was always a huge fan of and now this list i've been running is with a legion at least one legion of chariots so i agree uh it had extra flavor then sepic we all like the good septic system because he is best five point upgrade from a curse high priest yeah, we'll talk about all of our great living legends in a second because uh, those are all amazing. But um, Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about the the benefit of getting um, Revenant Cab and then some of the changes that happen to Chariots as well? Yeah, so um, I think it's it's fairly common knowledge at this point that I that the entirety of last year for me was a meme list with Chariots, um, which which took me to Masters and and then immediately got re- removed from the game after they made them all irregular. Um, as kind of a side grade for for uh, Brad's uh, Twilight Ken chariots at the same time, um, I do like I did like that they gave us Revcav. Revcav gave us a lot more options when it came to speedy lists for EOD because we didn't have a whole lot of flexibility. We basically had chariots and we had Pharaoh chariots. Um, Pharaoh chariots are still one of the best chariot characters in the game. I, I would argue that they are the best chariot character in the game, um, even with the increase of points that they got. I would say for for two hundred five, they are insane. Um, they're they're minute they're miniature dragons. Um, you still have really good with Revcav. They are extremely tough. They're actually a really good addition to EOD because they they get to mix with Shobek. Shobek gives them really good Iron Resolve. Uh, they're they're just durable bricks that move really fast, uh, which was most of what chariots were doing in the previous edition. Um, on the flip side of that, chariots have uh, they've had some time. Uh, they they finally got back to regular status, uh, and I think that's helped them quite a bit. Now that we're able to take legions for unlocks, I think legions are definitely appropriate. Um, hopefully we'll see some some more uh, love for them soon, because uh, they're still very much competing with Revcav for the same spots. That's, that's what I currently see. Adam, as our recovering uh, elf player, um, one of the other changes that Matt hasn't quite touched on for Chariots was the fact that, and this was across the board, um, they lost half their shots. So essentially when you're you're um, using chariots, you have a full complement of attacks for melee, but for ranged, um, you're only using half the attacks. So with it already starting and being five up shooting without any other fringe bells and whistles, they have steady aim, but um, are you have you tried using chariots in that shooting in your list, and has it been successful at all? Uh, no. <laughs> Just plain and simple no. Uh, the, uh, you know, coming from elves, as you said, the uh, silver breeze for the price and comparing them to a chariot. And guess what? Silveries do very similar damage in combat as well as chariots. It's just, it's sad, uh, quite frankly. Um, But I I think one of the other uh, big changes for what my envisioned list was in second edition to the third edition drop that wasn't mentioned yet was the change to our Revenant infantry. Uh, the fact that we are not able to choose if we want defense five is just stupid, in my opinion. Like, Agreed. There, there are there are still other units in the game that have that choice. They didn't just eliminate it across the board for everybody. They just said, "Oh, your Empire Dust, you get crushing and defense four, or your Undead, you get defense five. 
and uh, I think the way that a lot of Empire Dust players would probably rather play it is with the defense five because man I'm I will say that I was looking forward to a dash 24 nerve defense five brick that just sat around and and tanked yeah I was able to kind of use that successfully near the end of second um, around the time that all the soul snare buffs went through and then we still had a good complement of healing I think I probably made people cry a few times when they get on seven 17 wounds or so and then they'd like hit a three or something it wouldn't pop and then I'd get it like back down to four after the next turn and they're just like I hate living yes uh, but that's why it's Empire Dust um, one of the other things uh, Dustin I'm gonna throw this over to you um, how do you think some of the meta changes either favor or disfavor the army as uh, the army's kind of changed as a whole moving from uh, second to third? Well, with the meta going more to the grind, I'd say, it's benefited us greatly because more people want to get in combat with us. Uh, you have less Elfie, our boy Adam Sold style, shooting. So, we, which we didn't, uh, my list didn't mind in the first place, but the, like the one weakness we had was range. You see less of it now. And then, unless we're playing in the southeast, your neck of the woods, we're we're not seeing that. And now with indirects taking a hit, so now they're doing cover, unless it's a cannon, what do we care? So that, that meta change is good. Uh, speed still matters, especially if you have speed that can take a hit. A lot of people have 15, 17 cav, and they can hit something, do well, but that follow-up punches them in the mouth, and they can't do anything. So as far as meta changes, I think we're in a better position than most. Uh, when third came out, I looked at my EOD and said, that's probably the uh, strongest buff next to orcs. One of the things that I've personally noticed in third um, is because there's a lot more infantry hordes in third. Armies are a lot more wider. So if you're trying to leverage anything that's not the 50 mils or the square bases like um, bone dragons or bone giants, it's a lot harder to try to get around armies to get those flanks just kind of naturally. Now you can still get it if you kind of lock someone in, pin someone in, and then you can kind of do the ping pong motion where you can disengage, turn, and kind of hit some flanks when people move forward and engage after that. But I find just as a whole, trying to get around armies to outmaneuver them is a little bit tougher. Now we never had like the biggest, the best speed in the world, but I feel like when things were a little bit more compact and elite near the end of second, it was a lot easier to kind of try to play angles a little bit better now you kind of have to have really really an eye for it uh let me let me jump in on that one so um the way i play my list is uh i i usually do a lot of deny flank deployments so i'm not looking to get around people at all like ever um i i do use the the pin and you know try to to play off that pivot point essentially uh but being the uh you know the agreed upon shooting army <laughs> the uh, easiest way to actually do that is to just blow a hole in their army and uh you know two enslaved Ar- guardian archer hordes can do that and then you say oh look there's a flank as can three bone giants and did the shotgun method each one faces a different direction yeah mm-hmm. just all three yeah. there yep exactly they did <laughs> the buddy cop movie like yeah. Holly's angel style and it works every time 50% of the time it works every time. There we go. I think, I think we can all safely say that if, as an EOD player, 90% of the game plan is create a hole, exploit the hole. And it doesn't matter what style you're running, that is the game plan. I live my marriage by that method. And then uh, one last thing I want to touch upon is just I'm going to pour one out for my favorite unit, the uh, Restless Souls of Raya, the uh. most busted unit that was ever in Kings of War. Rest in peace. Uh, rest in peace. Um, I had a really neat cannon in the middle of like a unit of skeletons being fired out of a cannon and holding like gunpowder, but uh, 
I just want to pour one out for my homies because people just look at it on paper and they're like, eh, it's like eight attacks. Oh, it's blast. Oh, you get a flank. Oh, you just did 29 wounds to an ogre legion. Oh, God, help. Um, but from that, um, let's, uh, let's kind of throw it over to Matt and let's start to say um, what, what kind of standout units do you think? And I'm going to say with a caveat, let's not talk about the living legends yet because everybody <laughs> who's anybody knows you should probably take four above 2,000 points. Um, but what are some of the good kind of... Um, what are some of the good units that you think make a EOD list? And yours is going to be a little bit skewed compared to the rest of us because you love speed. But uh, let's uh, let's start with you and kind of work our way across. Yeah, def- definitely a bit of a speed junkie. Um, man, it's making it hard when you have to take away all the living legends because that's that's still probably one of our best advantages over our our undead cousins. Um, if I had to pinpoint any, I mean, Revenant Cav are really strong even after the the drop in their their cost or rather the the increase to their cost of 180 for a regiment like they're still really solid um not getting a horde is kind of meh i mean but they're they're still a really gr- strong unlock i think our biggest struggle for our list uh in third is is unlocks right now we have a, a lot of either you have to take kind of a, a mixed army to get your unlocks so they can keep up or you have to get a uh very specifically tailored couple of units um, Chariots finally unlocking again has helped that. That has definitely made a big impact because now we have a very jack-of-all-trades unlocker. Um, and I, I think if I had to pinpoint like units that I like the most in EOD, it is still probably the Pharaoh Chariot. I know I've talked about it already, but that guy just has a lot of nice tricks. Uh, he's very fast. He's very nimble. Um, being on a Chariot base gives him a lot of options that other units don't get. And with 3rd Edition and the way that you can maneuver around units, you actually have a lot more... Uh, space you can play with him. Um, but other than that, uh, RevCav work really well in EOD because you've got the, the faster speed and the amount of attacks they bring. You works really well with all the surge you can play with. Uh, but yeah, those those would probably be my two units. And, and again, you are, you are correct. This is definitely a skew for me because I am, I am here for the speed. Uh, these gentlemen play for the grind and the shooty. So, Adam, one of the things that... Uh, I think we have, it's both good and bad, it kind of depends on the list, is how do you kind of fit in those support elements or chaff elements? Uh, some people can say, you know, if you're taking skeleton hordes at 140 points, you know, it, it, it's chaff. But um, we have some other um, units in the army like swarms and carrion, or I think scavengers. Um, so what are, have you... What do you like out of those units? Do you take those units, or what do you kind of use as chaff in your list? I, I do take two uh, regiments of scavengers. Um, I uh, some Again, my, my list has evolved, uh, but since the most recent uh, cock update where uh, I was taking two catapults before, and with them, they, they weren't great already. But with the nerf to the uh, indirect fire and uh, with cover rules, they just became uh, clearly not not a good add. Uh, so for the same points or similar points, actually, um, I was able to add in carrion uh, or the scavengers instead. And I found that even though they can potentially be wavered, an eleven thirteen nerve on a ch- flying nimble chaff unit at defense four is surprisingly resilient, especially when we already have built into our army the drain life, the heal. Um, one of my games today, I think my carrion took like eight wounds throughout the entire game because they took five consecutive turns of lightning bolt seven, but I just kept healing them. 
and nothing else in my army was a good target. So he just kept shooting them, but he, you know, it just wasn't enough to get over trying to uh, be able to break them or waver them. So I, I really like scavengers. They're a little bit, uh, they minorly cost more than like, uh, say, a uh, gargoyle unit. But what they do is, in my opinion, actually just better than gargoyles. And having that in our list, I've really found is extremely powerful. Um, Because not only do they provide the chaff roll, but they actually help us or help me with several scenarios that I struggled with. Um, Being able to jump over and threaten with like raise and then pillage in the end games. Um, those scenarios that, you know, Matt kind of said, we have to have a game plan really early on in the game because we don't have the speed and ability to uh, adjust later. Uh, these these units with scavengers actually allow us to do that. And I'm assuming that you're taking them in uh, regiments and not hordes? Yep. One of the things that I don't like that change from um, second to third for that is the hordes are only one unit strength as well as the regiments. So that... Also, they went up a bunch of points comparatively to how they were in last edition. I feel like either you raise the points because they are flyers and they can get back there and you leave the unit strength or you let, you know remove the unit strength and leave them at the reduced cost they were. But, um, uh, Dustin, you want to add anything about chaff there? Chaff, the best of skeletons. I'm the, I'm the fervent believer of that. Still do it, still works. Skeletons and giants, that's my chaff. Always has been. Now, but uh, I will say I do have a lot of carrion. I love those models. I have some old, old, old pewter ones. On top of that, he's right. It helps in more missions that we're weak at. His hybrid build works beautiful with it. I played against them. They work great. So, uh, that, But with Chaff, we actually have everything. Revenant Cav Troops, like Matt said. Revenant Chaff, uh, Cav Troops, phenomenal. But like we could literally use anything. Like, let's, let's get real. You could even consider it a mummy troop and even a mummy regiment. Uh, Dash 18 for instance. With our life leech, iron resolve abilities, drain life and heal, I'm not worried about chest Don't forget they have regen. Oh, yeah. I, love, I used to run four regiments of mummies, and I always loved, they were always my favorite little grinders. I have ran before um, four troops of mummies backed with the uh, pharaoh with the elite, and you can use them as kind of fire and forget missiles, and then if they somehow stick in between regen and the uh, soul snare to get drain life and the heal that's kind of baked into the list with life leech, like people will be like, oh, I did like eight wounds, I didn't break them, and they're back to nothing and still fighting because they're only two, you know, two attacks less than the regiment. So um, something cheeky that I don't think is usually worth the cost, but I played with a little bit in second was put caskets on them and just kind of use them, shoot them forward as a fire and forget missile, and it ties up lines because people actually have to devote combat units to break through that dash 14 defense five. They have to overcommit, and then when yes. you overcommit, you have that second wave, which we have that beautiful enslaved guardian, which is phenomenal. Best large infantry rivals maybe two other units that are close to it. Correct me if I'm wrong, aren't they dash 15, the mummy troops? No, they're 14. They're 14? Mm-hmm. Okay. Dash 14 and then dash 18 for the uh, regiment. Which now is the same as the bone giant. Rest in peace, Bruce. Uh, so, so upset. Dustin, I'm going to throw it over to you to talk about your favorite things, hammers and anvils, and I feel like in most of your lists, they're probably the same unit. They're always the same unit. I've developed that method way back in the beginnings of version 2. It's done me solid. Uh, if it's got a high enough nerve, if they have to overcommit to kill it, and then you kill it what they overcommit with, you've done one. Uh, that's why I like the skeleton horde so much. It's a perfect anvil. It's a 22. 
people kill it, what do they have to put in? Multiple units. They put three in it, then you have your flankers, you have your chariots, you have your revenant, you could have little enslaved guardians, which, like I said, melee three, crush two, fearless, that will kill most, that, well, especially you're going to flank it, because why not surge? So, but like I said, those can be the same thing. For an anvil, you have mummies, skeletons. Uh, Adam here got me looking into spearmen so much because the one extra unit strength is a bargain for what it is. You know, like we're talking unit strength three spearmen for dirt cheap. And like the horde, I've, I've loved it. I've been running the horde of spears lately. And at 30 attacks, surprises people. I accidentally popped a lot of things I didn't think I was going to kill. Yes. 30 attacks. Yeah, sometimes the numbers get in your favor, and even though you're hitting on fives and sixes, wounding on like fours, fives, and sixes, sometimes math just spikes, and it's unforgiving to your opponent, and you just laugh it up. Um, so I want to transition here and talk about the things we excluded earlier, which were the, uh, the four living legends. We have five total on the list. Usually you'll see four or three in pretty much every over 2,000-point list, but... Because I know he's the number one fan at this table, I'm going to throw it over to Matt to talk to us a little bit about Apathis. Yeah, so um, uh, out of the four of us running uh, EOD at this event, we have four Shobiks, we have four Monoliths, uh, we have, I believe, three Shobik Ross. Uh, Sepics, yeah. Three. Yep. three. And then we have at least two Soul Snares, three Soul Snares, and then I have the only Apathy. Um in, in exchange for Subic Ra and the Soul Snare. Um, I think that has to do a lot with the speed element of a Pappy versus the other lists, which are much more grindy. That that basically plays the part as as it should for me. Um, I think a Pappy is fine for what he is. I do think he's probably he's probably like five, ten points more than he probably should be. Um, Shobik is probably five, ten points less than he should be. And the fact that he's in all of our lists should be pretty evident that he's he's pretty good. Whose side are you on, Matt? <laughs> I think he's actually uh, overcosted. Yeah, he should be, should Matt, be even doing less. 200 points. Yep. Yep. Just, just drop him down. Come on. He's only moved seven. Other people have dragons. Honestly, I think he should have elite. Just putting that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Or radius of life. I'll take that. Uh, a Pappy is definitely more of a... I don't want to say he's a finesse tool because that, that insults the other EODO players here with the whole army is a finesse army, just full stop. It doesn't matter. Again, it, it's about creating a hole, exploiting the hole with Surge. And, and a Pappy does that by bringing uh, Cloak of Death to the table uh, with one of the largest bases in the game to do it with. And the speed, and I mean, he's basically a dragon on top of that. So you, you have a dragon that creates a hole and then you exploit it with all the other good tools that EOD has to play with. So that's that's a Pappy in a nutshell for me. How often do you get to use the spell casting? So he's got Surge 8, and I believe that has pretty much the elite rule, and then he also has Drain Life 7, is that correct? I, I could take up an entire podcast talking about characters who have Surge, so I'm going to try to keep this short. But my, my opinion on characters has always been... If you have Surge and you're a combat character, that's actually really good. That's actually insanely good in my mind. Um, the reason for that is that you could spend 40 points upgrading a character with Surge, or you could spend 100 points, at least in EOD, buying a whole other character that has Surge. So the fact that you have the option to Surge is actually more important than being able to Surge at any given time, because people have to respect that. People can't flank you, they can't run past you, they have to, even if Apophis never surges in the game, they have to acknowledge that he could run 10 inches in any direction and get an elite Surge 8 
and someone's gonna have a bad day. And it has happened where people don't respect him sometimes, and he will he will run over, and he will get that eight inch elite surge, and he will you know rev calf suddenly hit a flank, and there you know you don't respect sixteen attacks on fours until it's thirty two attacks on fours, um, and so I I actually do see that get used more often than not. Um, I think people, the way that you play Pharaoh chariots and the way you play a pappy is you don't actually want to get into combat right away. You kind of want to play standoffish and kind of see how things develop. And then you, you you charge and exploit your hole. So that that drain life actually comes in more use than you would think, especially with Shobek still in the mix. Uh, that drain life plus Shobek's heal is actually quite a bit of recovery, and uh, it it keeps stuff going. So so Adam, I want to throw over to you talk about our everyone's favorite surge caster and objective holder, the monolith, and how how it's in your every list that that we ever make and and how you use it. He's my favorite. I know. I mean, Shobik's great, but the monolith is it's just even better. Uh, so obviously, with an army that's pretty much entirely shambling, uh, having a, a surge caster that scores and that breaks every rule when it comes to casting surge is well deserved in EOD to say the least and then package that up nicely and oh it's cheaper than every other surge you have in the army and you have a living legend so uh, now the monolith is great honestly I was taking the monolith uh, second edition before uh, before it is what it is now and I liked it in second edition too but the the changes to what it is now is it it just feels I mean, it feels great, but at the same time, it's like, is this right? Because every other everybody else has to play by the rules, but I don't. It's like slipping into a warm bath. The only complaint I have, and please feel free to change this, is that you have to use the surge at the beginning of the shooting phase. Preach. I, I don't think that's necessary. I mean, make it cost five points more and take that away, and I'd be happy. Yeah, a way I used to use um, Surge a lot in second, it was more towards like the Cock 18, Cock 19 packs was I was running, it was before Chariots got really, 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 really good. Um, I had like some Chariots with Nimble, I had a couple of the um, Archer Cab, and basically I would pepper you to death and then send in a combat unit and the extra, you know, you know, six, seven wounds I'd get from chip shooting would help swing combats because as you mentioned, you know, probably about 30 minutes ago, it's it's you got to have the hidden damage. You're not ever going to win a straight up fight because your units are, for the most part, not on par with the same units in other armies. However, you've got a lot of these dirty tricks and these underhanded things you do to kind of get those chip wounds added up. So you're not fighting a fair fight. That's the whole thing. You don't want to go into a, you're not going to go into a, a gunfight with a knife. You know, you're going to go in with a with a bazooka. So. Uh, and some of the changes uh, for those at home that, if you don't know, the Monolith is a 24-inch surge caster that does not need line of sight and can never be disordered. Plus, it is no longer a war engine. It is a Titan, so it has a unit strength of one, and it can move and march. And it's defense five at Fearless 17. There was a game I had today where there were... Um, Redemption Knights in Brother Nature that did not have Pathfinder and I put the monolith in the woods in front of it blocking it and it held it for three turns until I got Enslaved Guardians over there to take it out. That's exactly what I use it for. It's chaff, just like my giants. Also, it inspires. Exactly. Added little the cream de la creme. It's inspiring on a monster. There is no reason to play OD and not take the monolith right now. Like You take that 
as your first surge caster. Yeah. If, you, if you're taking a cursed high priest instead of the monolith, you're you're not doing it right. <laughs> you done did it wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Dustin, talk to us about the soul snare. Soul snare. I'll bring in the soul train. That's why I say when I use it. We have so much of our army that relies on four up melee. When we have four up melee, what's our weakness? In snare, right? When you have the snare, what's your weakness? Breath weapon, shooting. You can't stand it. With this, this accompaniment of a ranged attack allows our, you know, let's, say, let's say we're hindered, melee four. If you're hitting with your chariot, you're hitting with your revicath, that's going to swing it just to the point where you could pop that 1517. You could waver that 1517. And God forbid someone has defense four, then you just laugh at their peasant face while you, you burn them into hell. Like, I love the Soul Snare. The Soul Snare, as once I added it, I took it out in version 2 because I felt so dirty playing it. And so I brought it here because I was like, well, you know, I got to play all these heathens, so I might as well. So it's better than the Iceless. So there you go. The one thing that I lament is um, I, can, I see mine getting shot a little bit more because Lightning Bolt is very much in vogue, and the stealthy that it had that kind of protected it from the chip shooting in 2nd edition is no more because pretty much anyone's you know chip shooting now is Lightning Bolt, which ignores the stealth. Sounds like you need more monsters to hide behind. That is fair, but I kind of like to get out there and shoot things, uh, so it's usually me blasting away chaff so that my, my monsters can make that hole in the list as we talk see, about. See, I make that hairline crack. And I just thread the needle like I'm in prison, and we're good. Uh, let's be clear, though. It's a dash 15, oh, yeah. and it yeah. Oh, yeah. drains life, so it can heal itself yeah. on top of, I mean, usually for me, anyway, Shobik's around. Like, lightning bolt harassment to those guys, like that, unless they got, like, 20-plus lightning bolt, good luck. <laughs> Why not set in cover, since you don't care? Yeah. That's true. As, yeah. as someone who runs the, the speedy list, and as many times as I've tried not to take the Soul Snare, the honest truth is that I I could fit that thing in any EOD list, and it would be good. Yep. I, I have played that back in 2nd Edition when it was first at, at the 10 Soul Drain. Stuck that in the Chariot list, had no right being there. It was slower than everything else. Totally worked. Made no, like, just had no issues. Could totally do it with the current list, just just not not quite enough points to squeeze it in there. All right, no, the last living legend is is the newest addition to the uh, living legend, Sebek Ray. He came in the last cockbook. Uh, for what you're getting for a normal cursed high priest with uh, heal and surge for five, count it one, two, three, four, five extra points. You are getting very inspiring. And each turn, if you cast heal on a unit, you can also surge that same unit. So it's basically a free fireheart every turn for heal and surge. That guy is pretty amazing. Um, I was starting to believe in the in the Matt Carmack school of don't try to take Lich Priest because they're a tad bit overcosted. But that guy is uh, he's made Priest return to well he's made himself a, a fixture in all of my lists because just the extra very inspiring between the Monolith, um, him and Shobik, you get pretty good coverage for inspiring across your whole army. Um, you get, you know, the good heal and surge, so you're never kind of deciding, all right, well, I need to get into this combat, but I also would like to heal. Why not both? Porque lo nos dos. Uh, so uh, he's he's been a really welcome addition as the new uh, uh, cock has come out. The, the, the cast can't see me nodding at, Dust, uh, at Devlin here and Dustin here, where I'm just like, yes, that character is so insane. I, I am very much an anti- pricey caster person that's kind of been one of my biggest uh, 
personal problems with Kings is I, I really don't like expensive casters. I find them very restrictive and, and they don't have a lot of flexibility. It's one of the reasons why I talked earlier where I was like, you have the melee characters that can cast into combat and that actually is better than having the full cost caster. This guy is so efficient being able to heal and surge and being so cheap for doing it. He just he gets a lot done for the points and that makes him an exceptionally good character. Uh, so, so even though it's not my style, I absolutely think he is a fantastic addition to our list and is certainly uh, up there as far as uh, our best casters in, in Kings, honestly, let alone EOD. And, and touching back upon some of the changes we received in the latest cockbook, uh, Sebek Ray was uh, a warm and welcome addition to most everyone's list. Uh, we talked already about the chariots. They were irregular for the first part of third, but now they're unlocking again. Uh, so that's that's great and fabulous. Uh, another one of the changes we saw was um, our cursed high priests. So they used to the reanimator used to be if you were casting on a skeleton unit, you could get up to two rerolls, and now it's you can cast towards anyone and your proximity within six inches of. Up to two skeleton units, which could be another cursed high priest too, because they have the skeleton keyword, uh, could get you up to two rerolls, and that's now for any spell. It used to be just surge and heal. So, uh, Adam, do you have you kind of looked at other uh, cursed high priest, and have you kind of flirted with any of the other spells, or are you just kind of sticking with Sebek Ray and the heal and the surge? Uh, I'm sticking with Sebek Ray, but I, I was uh, one of the few guys that was uh, taking a high priest uh, for the entirety of third edition before the change but the uh, the ability to get that reroll um, in an army that has a lot of skeleton keyword already is just phenomenal uh, I think the the fact that uh, Sebek Ray was added at the time that this was also changed to where he has that rule built in as well uh, just makes his ability that he can potentially cast two spells. Oh, and he can potentially get two rerolls for each of those two spells. It just makes it even that much more over the top. Um, I think that, that rule change across the board for all of High Priest is great. Uh, for Sebek Ray, it's even better. Um, but I would say that even if Sebek Ray wasn't around, I would be happy to run a High Priest uh, just even if it wasn't Sebek. So we have to hold that thought for a second because I'm being shaken to death by Dustin because I've skipped over his baby boy. So I had saved this specially for you. So Dustin, talk about Shobik and all the glory and the temple we should worship at. I've been praying to Shobik since I was the lad in version two. He was great when he was over 300 points. He's just gotten better with age, like a fine wine, if you will. He had his before he couldn't get iron resolve from his own iron resolve bubble. Now he gets that. He now has it at dash eighteen, which he before was at dash seventeen. He still has that. Oh, what? He was always 18? 18. eighteen. Oh, sorry. The Giants got nerfed. My bad. I forgot. So I just remember them getting nerfed. I've heard about it. So uh, the fact that the matter is, he's still movement seven, Strider hits on threes, and with being able to shamble, you can search shenanigans all days. I was like, on top of that, you have heal five. Like heal five, I could tell you how many times I use that heal five to constantly pull a Thanos and heal myself when I come against a shooting. And then I'm sitting there, and I have life leech, iron resolve, and I just laugh at you Southeast players when you'll try to do y'all's thing against me. Because Shobik doesn't care. Shobik laughs. Don't lump me in with them. I was like, I'm sorry, it's your people. Uh, you get lumped in. I come to more South. No, 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 you have a lot of ones that I actually really enjoy and like. 
they're, they're good for East Coasters. So uh, now, but like I said, Shobik himself, if you as long as you want, if you want something that shambles, you want something that hits on threes, you want something that one hand grinds it, you can't ignore him. Let's also mention he's on a 50 mil. 50 mil. Your favorite, Dustin. 50 mil. You know how many shenanigans you can do with that? A lot. 50? 50 mil worth. All right, uh, but let's throw this over to commercial real quick, and we'll be right back with Countercharge. I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games, and you're listening to Countercharge. This is Countercharge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. All right, so we are back, and now I kind of want to segue over and skip over Matt because he's going to poo-poo on this idea, but uh, let's kind of talk about what the kind of the baseline template of an EOD list looks like. We've talked about how the four living legends are pretty much have to be taken at any points over 2,000. Uh, but the other thing is you're probably looking at a requisite of two enslaved guardian hordes, as Dustin mentioned. Those are pretty good for unlocks. Uh, would you say, uh, Adam, that there's anything else that's kind of uh, compulsory? I know you take the archers instead of the melee ones, but you're doing a little bit more as people are coming to you, but it's it's all the same filth. Yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, to get your core three living legends it all all it takes is one horde of skeletons because you got your idol shobic you got your monolith as a titan and you got your soul snare as the only war machine that you need one and done and then from there it's just you know a splattering of whatever tastes you like a little bit of you know enslaved guardians for unlocks maybe a mummy uh, my personal favorite is those regiments of skeletons though skeleton spear regiments baby 105 points, a sweet three unit strength. Yes, yes, yes. And let's talk about the math real quick on them. The reason why they're so great is I first game today, I versed three hordes of, um, what are they called? Frostfangs. If you do the math, a Frostfang horde with no items against the Spear Phalanx, a dash 15, defense 4, weak little pleb. 105 points. Practically a third of the cost. The Frostfangs, with 30 attacks, average 10 hits because they're hitting on fives now. They then average about 8 to 9 wounds. With a dash 15, you're making them roll a 7 twice or a 6 twice on average. And that's a beautiful little anchor there for one of the hardest hitting hammers in the game. And there's no other uh, caliber, anything else that's affected by Phalanx. There's nothing else that doesn't have a magic item upgrade that can pop that unit on average in one go. Dustin, what are you taking for some of your unlocks in this list? Uh, I'm like my brother in, and uh, Shobik, Adam over here. We both uh, always start with the Horde of Spe- either Horde of Spears, Horde of Skeletons. And unlocks my three. After that, that's where you go ham. If I'm doing my monster style, yeah, maybe my Legion of Chariots. Chariot regiments I like. I love my, I, sometimes I'll do mummy regiments, multiple mummy regiments with the Pharaoh. It depends on which flavor I'm going with at that time. But I would always say skeletons or a bread and butter. I was like, that's my favorite thing is a skeleton. It's chaff, it's objective sitters, it's, it gets in the way of everything. And when you go against other cheap chaff, you're fearless, you have life leech, you usually have better nerve than they do, and you're still defense four. Rabble could suck it, Scarecrow's could suck it, Draugr could suck it. I was like, and if I, oh sorry, and rats could suck it. There, there we go, hitting all of them. Um, 
Matt, one of the things I felt in the in vanilla third edition was I felt like two regiments of Rev Cav were also kind of compulsory. Now that they have like the price raise, it's it's a little bit that you can take and choose. It makes some of your other choices in the list, like chariots or um, mummies, especially a little bit more attractive because I think they're the same price point now. Uh, Matt, do you want to kind of talk about that? One, I will I will take a moment here to just to be like, just because I run speedy list doesn't mean I can't run a slower list that's more grindy. That's We've never seen it done. Yeah, no, I like running the fast lists, but but I could run a, a Dustin list or an Adam list or a Devlin list. Uh, it's just not my style. Um, what I will say is that with the addition of RevCab to EOD and with chariots finally getting back to a regular status, which was their initial problem, uh, we, we do have that option for a very uh, suspiciously fast uh, for being undead, because I think a lot of people discount uh, the speed 8 cav, because they're, they're like, they can't march, but they, they in fact, 8 inches, you're still already charging stuff on turn 1. Um, and I think even with the points increase, I think Rev Cav are very solid. They're very strong. You've got a very sturdy unit strength 3 regiment unit that is that is fast, uh, can claim objectives. We were talking about the problem with EOD, or one of the problems with EOD earlier was that you, you have this difficulty claiming uh, objectives late game. And so the speed that you get out of RevCav helps make up for that. Uh, they're also just durable. So as far as unlocks go, I, I mean, they were... You could build a list around... I mean, they, this this was done, and this is why they got nerfed uh, and had their points increased. But, you know, you can build an entire list around them. Uh, and, I wonder and who I, did that at this table. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... I would say that with chariots finally starting to come back around, we're we're getting to this more of uh, a standoffish. A, a, you can you can play a little bit more uh, scalpel, uh, especially with chariots getting back in there. You have a little bit more options with your unlocks. Foot unlocks, yeah, yeah. You, you've you've got this nice. You've got the the mummies, which are very grindy. You've got the skeletons, as Dustin said, which are super. Uh, cheap for what you can get out of them, and and as Adam said, they are super nice uh, as a spear regiment. One of the best unlocks in the game as a spear regiment. All right, so let's kind of seg that away from our deal kind of starter pack for EOD. You know, like those terrible memes you sometimes saw on the internet like two, three years ago. Uh, but one of the things I want to do is kind of kind of stray some new players away from what I call the danger zone and talk about what may be some trap units or upgrades that are in the list. So. Uh, uh, let's go ahead and kick this back to Matt so he can be very opinionated about the caskets of the damned. I think I think all of us can agree here uh, that caskets are a trap. Um, I think... So so I had this discussion actually yesterday with, with a newer player. Um, we talked about caskets. We talked about why they're, why they're a trap for, for experienced players. So the, the problem with EOD, and, or not so much a problem with EOD, but a problem with Surge in general is there's a very big difference between a long surge and a short surge. A short surge is very consistent. One to two inches, you're almost guaranteed to get it with your eight you know, surge dice. Lots of re-rolls, lots of things. It's very concise. One of the best things about kings is you're trying to, to remove uh, probability, basically. So EOD has a very big strength in that you're all fearless. And, and s small surges are basically kind of following that trend. You have very little need to roll a lot of dice. So if you, you, know, you roll eight dice and you get, it's happened, you know, you get those eight threes or lowers and you just sit there and you cry uh, because you just lost the game. Um, 
And and that's kind of the idea where, like, in theory, yeah, oh, you could do a four-inch surge and you roll eight dice, you should get it, right? But you don't. A lot of the time you don't. Um, you're, you're off by one, you're off by two, and you just lose. So with caskets, the whole thing about caskets is you get this plus additional dice to surge, which, one, is problematic because you don't know how many extra dice you're going to get um, or how many extra hits you're going to get. It can help make sure that you're more consistent, but for those points, it's better just to get another surge caster by the time you spent that much money on uh, caskets. Uh, the flip side of that is you can try to... I think Devlin has done this a couple times. I know Pat Zora Allen, who's not here today, but uh, he's done it a couple times. You can try and do uh, what I call a bullet, where basically you, you pack one casket and a whole bunch of surge casters behind one unit and just shove it in front of everything. Yes, and basically try to force people to, to deal with that. But that's... It's not a it's not a win strategy. It's not a it's not a consistent strategy. So so I would like to see castates become something more like uh, one of the biggest problems of the OD is again the speed. It's getting those those deployment missions. So getting their infantry to have scout. I think caskets going up in points and giving the scout rule to the the base infantry would be really solid. That that would be my change if I were going to make a change. Hey, Rules Committee, you should hear that. So, Adam, you talked a little bit earlier about um, Empire Dust Revenants and how they're slightly different than their undead ones, whereas the undeads are still defense five with no crushing. The Empire Dusts are uh, crushing one but defense four. You, you kind of lamented not having a giant block that you can just heal the ever-living crap out of and it never dies, but have you, have you tried to experiment with regiments or troops of Revenants, and have you found any success over there? Um, I've, I've messed around with them, but uh, they just didn't fit the style of army I was going for. Um, so I was I was looking for my unlock units to be more of a, a chaff or a specific purpose um, and less of a, uh, a hammer or hitty or like a, a multi-tool unit. Uh, I wanted them to fit a specific role uh, and... You know, with the like the spear regiments that I found, they do that. The horde of uh, uh, normal skeletons, they do the same thing too. Where it's just you, you got to kill them, and if you want to kill them, you have to commit more than what they're worth to do so. Um, the you know, paying the extra price for the revenants and just getting the crushing and hitting better. Uh, just wasn't worth it, in my opinion, and I found the points were better used elsewhere uh, that allowed me to get, you know, the enslaved guardian archers, allowed me to get bone giants, the all the living legends that you may need, you know. I, I think that EOD is very much a, uh, you, you have to really determine what you need, and it's a very price-specific army. Um, which we're talking a lot of like 2300 at this point, but I, I feel like once EOD drops below a certain uh, point value, the list drastically changes from what, uh, what we're using at this point. Yeah, and I, I feel like they suffer the same issue that I think that I see mummies suffer from in the undead list, which is they're kind of a weird tweener unit that doesn't really fit a, a mold. 
if you want fast chaff, you've got some of the um, the cab options or the scavengers. If you want dirt cheap, you've got troops of skeleton warriors or the desert swarms. If you want like chaff that can actually like jack a punch, you can kind of spring the extra points for a mummy troop because those are pretty stout. But they're just kind of left in this weird no man's land. And my other thing is you have a lot of crushing available in other places in the list. You don't really need that from your unlocks. You'd rather have an anvil in that area, I feel, most of the time. And, and that's where that unit kind of falls short in my mind in the list. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. The idea is that the Revenants, they're not, they're not what I'm surging. They're not the ones that are looking for the flanks. So they, it, them getting a couple extra wounds every once in a while in the front on a counter charge, it's not worth it. Now, Dustin, I'm going to throw it over to you. There are a couple of monsters in the list that are a little underwhelming. First, let's talk a little bit about the reanimated behemoth. Is there anything you like about it? And and if you were king of the world and not just of, of dust, what would you change about it? It, it? it is defense six. I'll give it that. The, the base size, I actually like the base size. That's another positive. The problem I have is that nerves tad a little low for me. On top of that, it's competing with two monsters I really like, as a.k.a. Giant Dragon. So when you're competing with him, it doesn't have the movement. I was like that the other ones have. Obviously, the dragon has the nimble. The giant just beats it for the fact that it has that strider move seven. I want to be able to outrange ogres. As long as it has to get outrange ogres, maybe a pinch higher nerve. But it's with this, with that low of a nerve, what's it, 16? Uh, I think 16, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then also with that, uh, instead of soul center, make it more like a Cronus. You're like, uh, you know, Cloak of Death. Because let's be real, if you're, it doesn't have a good enough drain right. for it. Is. You should be taking Soul Snare or a Curse, even a Curse High Priest is going to be better than that. But if you run that, it's a construct, the giant, uh, while the other two are considered uh, bone hostilities. Uh, so if you had a caster over there with Drain Life instead of that guy, you're getting two rerolls anyway. Yeah, I feel like the Drain Life is really not optimal on that because. You don't want to hide behind things and shoot over because your defense six, you want to be the one in something's face. And if you're close enough to drain life, it you're usually close enough to charge it because you'd have a 12-inch charge range. So I feel like it's really underserved. One of the other um, monsters I'm not too fond of, uh, I liked it in second edition, but don't like it as much in the third, is the Burrowing Worm. They ended up taking uh, Inspiring away from it, um, among some other, I think, changes to point cost. It's... I would rather take a flying worm or take a bone giant, I feel. So uh, a lot of people message me about those because a lot of newer players or people who are not comfortable with Surge rather be able to march. They don't realize that Surge doesn't mean anything. You're just as fast. The problem is you just can't get that early game positioning. Late game, you're not going to be going 20 inches. You're not going to – that seven is fine. So the problem I have with the burrowing – one, it takes a hero slot. My hero slots are full. Sorry, I'm not moving over on the Sepik, Shobik. So then you're competing, and then the monster slots. Ah, my monster slots are all solid, too. So why am I taking an unlock for something that kind of does what a giant does? Like you said, it's more reliable. It's a little quicker, but that's not its goal. Like uh, Adam both said, it's, he said, you need a defined role. Everything else has a defined role. That's EOD for you. You have to have a tool for every equation. That one's just one of those weird places that... You can still use it. Don't get me wrong, but why? Yeah. Unless you now, if the rule of cool always prevails, so if you have a cool model, do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Adam, are there any other highlights in the list where you would say this is a unit that you would try to steer away from or maybe some sort of upgrade like some of the, uh, we talked a little bit about the spells on a Cursed High Priest earlier. I don't have a list of the available units in the army in front of me, but I'm sure there are some. Uh, I would say a lot of the, any unit that we didn't really talk about is probably less than ideal. Um, but then again, we haven't talked about like the crossbowmen. We haven't talked about uh, one of your favorites, the uh, the uh, archer cav. Um, you know, those those units have a role, and if your army needs something like that to fulfill it, it, it can definitely be worth it. And Dustin's showing me something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there's some of the characters that are not, not great. Dustin is <laughs> holding up his rulebook and giving a thumbs down to the Revenant champion. Matt, I know you have opinions there, so uh, I'll throw it over to you. Um... <laughs> So, so my my speedy list was looking for an option that could run fast, but also have some flexibility in what it can do. Because again, I, I just don't like expensive casters. So, with the new surge book, we have some options in what we can do. We can try to take a BSB with surge. We can try to take a rev champion with surge. And a lot of the times that I take the rev champion, I find he's like my unborn child. A lot of useless. Uh, Hits on fours, misses most of the time. Uh, surges on fours, misses most of the time. Uh, I've given him some some less than polite nicknames over the course of many years. Uh, but so far, uh, I continue taking him because in theory he should one day actually hit those one-inch surges that we were talking about earlier, but he never does. Uh, so I'm hearing you're not actually defending him. You're just throwing more fuel on the fire that you don't yeah, absolutely. He's being thrown under the bus and he deserves it. Um, he is, He is in fact, he is actually still really good for what he is. I, I think that, you know, despite all the, the trash talk I'm giving him right now, he is a exceptionally cheap. He is, he is 65 points for dash 14, defense 5. He does have four attacks with crush 1, so he's, he's very solid. If you look at him compared to a BSB or a, or a uh, standard bearer, as they're called now, he has literally 15 more points, but you get defense 5, 2 more nerve, uh, three attacks with crush one so it's a fairly cheap upgrade from a bsb and most things in eod are revenants anyway so the restriction to only inspiring revenants is not as painful for a lot of things because revenant chariots which are you know kind of a big deal respectfully disagree i don't think i have a single revenant in my army okay well then maybe it's just me it is yeah, just maybe you. if we had a bunch of cabin yeah that's that is fair um but but he is he is a fairly cheap upgrade to a BSB and achieves a lot more. All right, so I'm going to transition us a little bit. Um, I'm going to talk about I want us to give one or two units that are kind of underrated and your MVP. They're not kind of like the the out there units that you're like immediately identify. Hey, this is one of the living legends. These are the bees knees. But what's kind of the sleeper agent that's there and works good for you? Um, I'm going to kick it off for me, uh, as Adam mentioned earlier. I really love regiments of horse uh, skeleton horse archers. I feel like with the um, with the, the nerve, it's in the middle of the pack. It's dash 15. Uh, they're only defense 3, but at the end of the day, they've still got nimble 18-inch range, and they're now melee 4. Uh, they have no thunderous, but 
I can ev- I can get away with plank shooting in early games to kind of like chip away at people's chaff, and then late games they both kind of have that speed that gets you out there and gets those tokens, and then nimble really helps you to kind of get around to something. So if I have Sebek Ray nearby, I can go around a flank, kind of pivot in, fire a couple shots, maybe do a wound or two, and then surge into a flank. 28 attacks on fours, even without Thunderous, still does a lot of damage and can really swing most combats. That's kind of my favorite unit. Another unit that I've played with a little bit and I like, but I can't ever get to fit in the list, is the um, the Dead Eyes. The uh, Basically, we have Crossbowmen with a pot shot and Piercing One and Elite. They only come in troops and regiments. I really like the idea of them, and they usually have good output. I can just never, because they don't unlock, fit them in a list where I'm comfortable or where they keep up kind of with the list, but they're great for that same kind of objective holding or just a blade of trash you can throw at something at the end of the game, but I always kind of struggle to fit them in lists. Adam, what are some of those superstars in your list? I have a feeling scavengers might be one of them, but what are some others? Yeah, I think I've talked about most of them, the scavengers, the uh, uh, value that you get out of the spear regiments. Uh, but I think one of the uh, the biggest uh, tools in the Empire Dust toolbox is how we can manipulate shooting uh, with the ability to surge units that have shooting as well. Um, so I, I am a huge fan of the Guardian Archers. Uh, running two hordes of them, they, they are almost always worth their points in my army. Uh, a lot of times it, it is because I dedicate a lot of the support to them. A lot of times they're getting surged uh, early game. Uh, so a couple examples that a lot of people don't run into or don't really see when you're looking at the book is, uh, you know, if you move with them, pot shot, they're going to be half shots hitting on six. Well, you just deploy them. And a lot of times I deploy them behind a forest or behind a hill that's just outside of the deployment zone. And the first turn, my two surge casters, both cast on each one of them. Oh look, they're in the forest, and guess what? They're hitting on fives already. And I'm getting the cover for the return fire. Or I'm sitting on top of the hill and I'm shooting whatever the hell I want at 30 inch range. And oh, you come close enough, these things can hurt you. So especially charging down a hill, it's nothing to snuff at. So the ability to get that surge um, with basically not sacrificing anything from the shooting that they can put out is just huge and then there's several times where i'm playing invade and those guys don't move ever in the movement phase but they're on the other side of the board by the end of the game and one thing i think is kind of undersold is the change that went from second to third for that unit so they lost about six inches of range but they went from reload to pot shot so even when you're even when you need to kind of move up to get in position to maybe do that surge or get across the line you can still do your half shots and you're still getting some value out of them even if you're forced to move because maybe a surge needs to go somewhere else so that's something that's just amazing about that unit in particular to quote Adam, uh, to follow up on yours, to, to quote Meatloaf, you took the words right out of my mouth. Because it, it's Slade Guardian Archers are something that I'm always impressed with, even though I'm not running them now. Like uh, we've talked about in our little chat, I like regiments and I like hordes. It's one of the only large infantries that I like both as much as I do, other outside of ogres, that is. And it's they always perform. They do melee good now. You still get flanks in the battle line. You could do a simple wedge, and then, oh, look, this chaff didn't. I'm not going to shoot you. Just surge into you. All today. Absolutely. I think uh, two of my opponents questioned why I have boots of striding on one of my hordes. They're like, 
Is that is that right? Yeah, they they get in combat more often than they shoot throughout the entire game because they want you to get close, and then I have something surging into you in the flank because you're overextending to try and shut down my shooting. It's not going to end well for you. Them going to melee four up, and, and the regulars going to melee three up, game that's that's the biggest game changer for unit i would say for us other than the rift yeah and that happened i want to say the last cock of second edition and kind of transitioned over in the third but yes once they both got that melee bump uh because the shooters used to be melee five the the fighting ones used to be melee four and wildly overpriced and then it flipped that switch and you're like oh i have something in this army that's not pharaohs that can hit on threes this is this is like this is wonderful uh, Dustin, I know we've pretty much covered all the units in your list already, but what are some of those other units uh, in the EOD Army list that you find like are your MVPs, if you can ever squeeze them in, or just kind of underrated? If they're not the ones that I've already mentioned, I would like I said, it's Slave Guardians. I uh, like Slave Guardians and Slave Guardian Archers. I'm only running one horde of its Slave Guardians, but like I, I don't see a lot of people running Archers. Other uh, like uh, y'all both are taking them, but outside of us, have you seen a lot of people taking Slave Guardian Archers? at the table here. Yeah, a lot of times I feel people find that they need more unlocks. Uh, and I, I definitely know I've sacrificed some things uh, to be able to take the archers because they don't unlock. And other than that, like like I said, I don't think anything's undervalued in our army. I guess we haven't talked about desert swarms. I like desert swarms just because they still shamble. And they're scouts, so they can kind of, you can put them behind units so some of your slower units can get on the on the 12 inch line but then yes. they can scout through and then kind of use as that mobile cover before they need to go and do their thing if you can't get scavengers you get the swarm and let's talk about the most important use they have being height one they can sit right in front of that soul snare the, the, and the soul uh, i was going to say has, the obligatory 65 point upgrade for the soul snare yeah, to make sure yeah. that it can never be charged and it scores now so you have that scoring yeah, skull snare. And it scores. Yes. So it's like, hey, the perfect babysitter. I will say this tournament, we get a, a free character, and I took the uh, cavalry character. My cavalry character's been babysitting my soul snare the whole time, just sitting in front sideways, so nothing can charge the front of the soul snare. I've but it's had, an individual. You, no cover still. <laughs> I've never had the soul snare charged, but that's the way I bury it. Uh, so it's like... I've been using my character as far as like a glorified zone control. It always dies. But because it dies, my sleep guardians live. Matt, I'm going to throw it over to you. What are some of your underrated units, and are any of them over speed 7? <laughs> that's that's for sure. Uh, I, I don't quite think chariots are quite the meme list they used to be. Uh, that is that is the sad truth. We'll, we'll get there one day. My, my glorious boys will be back in full force, all, all 30 of them on the table again one day. Uh, I will say Pharaoh Chariots are still doing, as I've said, exceptionally well. I think that if I had to pick one unit in the EOD that makes me keep coming back to EOD versus any other list, it's it's Pharaoh Chariots. You've got a very fast, nimble character on a chariot base, which, again, on its own doesn't sound like a whole lot, but Crush 2 base, Thunder 1 built in, Regen, Fearless, Defense 5... Dash 16, like I can go on and on about their stat bar, let alone just how good they are about grinding against most units. You can bait dragons into them and then laugh as the dragon doesn't kill them and you just walk away. Um, they, they, they add enough damage to units in EOD. EOD has a, a damage problem a lot of the time where they, they will... Most EOD units on their own don't have the hammer ability that like things like vampires or 
uh, Honor Guard or other big hammer units have. So EOD tends to chip away and then bring like multiple things into bear. And Pharaohs are just perfect for that. They're enough to swing something just enough over. Uh, to where you start winning those combats. So now I want to move into magic items and what are some weird uh, magic items and unit combinations that you love. I know Matt's already talked about his failures with the Revenant Champion and the uh, the, the Tome of Surge 4, and then uh, Adam's talked about how his uh, Fisticuff uh, Enslaved Guardian Archers love those Boots of Striding. Uh, for me, one of the things I love is I will always put uh, the Pipes of Terror for Brutal on one of my um, Enslaved Guardian hordes. Uh, it's 10 points and just that brutal, I feel a lot of the times just kind of puts it over the edge so where I can one-shot many 15, 17 units or at least get them into wavering to where I can kind of protect myself. Um, that's kind of my favorite thing to do there. Another thing I love that everyone who's taking the Slave Guardian should be doing is putting a lead on one of the hordes because if you're doing everything, it's just kind of, you're getting all the all the money out of Those are rookie numbers. you got to pump them up with some sharpness on Enslaved Guardians. Yeah, so so Dustin's got a horde of normal Enslaved Guardians in his list that have sharpness, so they're just running in and just kicking a mud hole in something before moving on. Uh, they're like a little nuclear bomb that people just look at, and I go, I'll kill that horde in a turn. What do you mean? 18 hits. There you go. Uh, I have a lot of weird combos. I didn't get to bring it this time, but I, I like to run a spear horde with a dragon charge. Uh, first turn, I move, surge, surge, and next turn, I do a double to triple surge on it when I pop it, and I'm usually hitting my opponent. I, I go for whatever alpha strike they have, and I hammer in when I run into dire frames and laugh like, when I go into like two dire frame hordes because they can't pop. And uh, I'm sitting there laughing with that little unit. Uh, chariots, other than your Bligory J boots, Pathfinder, Nimble's phenomenal on them. Like Nimble's great for EOD because you have shit. You know, you know, you have archers. It's phenomenal for anything they can serve. Yep. The only other items I, I like is obviously you could take C staff, but we don't need it. Uh, I still like Shroud of Saint occasionally on a normal priest if I have it. Um, but that's the sharpness was because I did not. I wanted something that could play in terrain, and I'm like, I don't have thunder. What do I care about that? Like, this is better. Now, Matt, you're Enslaved Guardians because you at least took ones because we all have to take Enslaved Guardians at this table because why not? Uh, the archers count. They're grandfathered in. Um, yours have nimble, so have you been able to kind of abuse the uh, sidestep, slightly pivot on the corner because you're not an inch away in surge yet? Uh, I'm going to briefly just point out that uh, I'm going to pour one out for my Worm Riders because that's, that's the unit that those would have been uh, had we not lost them. I missed my glorious 24 attacks uh, with plus one to hit on threes. It was very a very solid hit a unit. And it was an odd unit in the list because it was the only one that didn't shamble. <laughs> uh, but all that said, Enslaved Guardians are a good replacement for them. That's That's been what I've been running instead. Uh, I usually actually run mine with Iron Resolve because Shobek plus that is now Iron Resolve 2. So they become exceptionally durable without having to heal them at all. You've got Life Leech and two Iron Resolve, so without even having to roll a dice, you basically just get three wounds back, which I think is nuts. Um, when, when you realize how much this game revolves around tiny little increments of one. Uh, with Nimble, the unit definitely changes its, its style. Uh, it's a little bit more flexible. I haven't done anything too crazy this event with it, but it has made a lot of other people have to play around the possibility of it just going somewhere. Um, 
And the fact that it can literally turn around and walk six inches means that you can't even fly over it and hope to get out of the surge range. It will get you. Yeah, uh, one thing we haven't really touched on is uh, the Flying Pharaoh. That is always a, a stock lock and standard option. So uh, the, the, the foot uh, Amunite Pharaoh, and you give him the wings and the Honey Maze, so he's defense five. I used him a lot in uh, Vanilla 3rd Edition because when War Machines were rampant and Indirect was a menace to everybody and their mother. Uh, Not here. We don't do that. In the southeast and then other various regions, there might have been problems with that. Uh but, and so I, I heavily use that to kind of hunt down War Machines, plus it was a very mobile Surge caster because he still has the Surge 8 built in. But I have found that with kind of the nerfs that happened to Artillery and the introduction of uh, Sebek Ray that I've kind of switched over to that, save points, and put some items elsewhere. Uh, Adam, what are some of the other fun uh, tr tools and tricks you like to use with the magic items in the list? Well, uh, fun fact is I only have 25 points of magic items, and that's because I couldn't spend those 25 points on units. Uh, I'm actually a big fan of the, the army as a whole, just play as is. The, the army has the tools it needs. It does not need the magic items to support it like a lot of other armies do. A lot of times, if you don't have Pathfinder or J-Boots in a list, you're just, you know, really giving up the terrain battle as it is. Uh, but having Bone Giants with Strider, Shobik with Strider, um, you really don't have to have it in a lot of cases. Um, but I will say that uh, one thing that's done well for me so far this tournament is just a, a five-point item of... Uh, um, the fire oil on uh, one of my hordes of enslaved guardians. Uh, I just got done playing Robbie King and he had three hordes of trolls and when I said, yeah, I'm wounded on twos, he's like, what, they're they're piercing three? <laughs> yep, they are against you. Yeah. <laughs> and that also doubles over to combat, so you're kind of getting the double efficiency in both the combat That's, and the, the shooting. That that unit took out two trolls. I mean, it, it had help from the other, but that unit it was did. It was the primary driver. Um, one thing I want to throw out there, which is the complete opposite of what Adam just said, uh, something that is ungodly expensive, but also very, very hilarious, is the crystal pendant on a legion of chariots, and you just throw it at people because they still have to commit like three units to it, and then you just go, all right, now stop hitting yourself. I like going into warriors as well, just because warriors are so easy to surge in that. I like it wider. So you can block more units as a whole when you surge. So it's like, okay, don't kill them. Touch me or don't touch me. You're going to lose either way. Yeah. It's my second wave's going to hurt. That's called creating a hole, boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Now I'm going to kind of go around and talk about one or two things that you'd like to see um, happen to in future updates to this list, uh, just to kind of maybe shore up maybe some perceived weaknesses or kind of get you... I guess more on a level of things that you feel are unoptimized, maybe some units that can't be used right now because there's they're not the greatest. Um, one thing that's not really, it's already an auto-include unit, but uh, Adam touched upon this earlier was I would like to see, even if it even if it brought up a, a points increase, um, be able to use the monolith surge at any point in the in the movement or in the uh, in the shooting phase, just so you could get a little bit more use out of kind of like light tap shooting and then get in. Uh, that's something I have to be mindful of in deployment because I'm like, if I have shooters over here, I need to make sure Sedic Ray's over here and not my monolith because I can't double tap because the surge has to happen first. Um, Matt, let's throw it over to you. What's what's something you think the list could could use to uh, make it? Per all that more sweeter. 
Make caskets good. That's that's my biggest thing. Honestly, EOD is a is a very solid list. It has a lot of flexibility. I actually think uh, both at the end of second and at as third is going on that EOD is probably one of the best design lists overall. There's a lot of flexible play styles, as highlighted by the fact that we have four players at this table, all of who are bringing different styles of the same with list. the same three living legends. <laughs> right, with the same three living legends. But four. 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 Four living legends, but different styles of lists uh, that all work. It's not a, a you can only do this. It's not a you can only take that. Um, and, and even though we are often seen as kind of the, like the lesser undead, so to speak, I would argue that we still have one of the best and most diverse lists. So there's not a whole lot I want to change with that. There are some units I could see getting a little better, obviously. Uh, the the uh, Behemoth could use some love. Um, I would like to see Worm Riders make a return, please. Uh, restless Souls are bust. Br bring yeah, my busted and, unit and restless and, and give Devlin his Restless Souls. Uh, I would like to see chariots get a more diverse role, not just get like a couple extra attacks to fix them compared to Revcav, but rather make them something that's more unique and individual. But that's more of a, a critique of the of chariots as a whole. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think the biggest issue is caskets. Fix caskets. If you can make them something interesting that could be good in competitive play, they, I currently think they are the worst army upgrade in the entire game, and I think that it's very easy to make them the best army upgrade in the entire game with, with a small change. Adam, I feel like I've stolen most of your thunder because we've already talked about the revenants. You'd rather have the, the defense five ones over the four, and I, I did steal your thunder on the monolith. Is there anything else you can think of that you would want to change if you were the god of everything? I mean, I think we're just on a great mindset here that we just know what needs to be fixed. Uh, but I, I am with Matt. Uh, I never even look at the caskets, uh, but I would like to see them change. And honestly, I don't really have a suggestion of what they could be changed to. I just I want to see what, what the rules committee comes up with. I'm up for anything because, you know what, if it's terrible, it didn't change anything anyway. So... Um, but in general, uh, I think I would like to see some unique uh, uh, formations. I, I like the idea of formations in uh, the previous editions. And I, I'm interested to see what ideas they have for formations in our army. Um, you know, I, I, do, I hesitate to say because I feel like some of them were just too good not to take. Um, and then you start seeing kind of a cookie-cutter type army. And, you know, since we have four people here playing so different lists, uh, it would be a shame if we all said, nope, this is just the clear way to play. You mean elite, elite Vicious Mummies are back, and then you can put uh, the uh, yeah. Fireheart or the uh, whatever the uh, breath weapon was on one of them so you could have Elite shooting and then Surge in? Yeah, no, that was disgusting. And they're like, oh, let's take three units you were already taking. Well, see, that's the thing. With, I love formations in general. I like a lot of the really obscure ones. Like the one with the Ogre Hunters was one of my favorite ones. Oh, yeah. And I always took formations, and I always took things that I thought were more obscure. And uh, I didn't think there was ones that you needed. There were certain ones that were like, people already take Italy. Uh, people already take this. It's the ones that added an extra flavor to units that no one takes. Those I wish would come yeah. up. Like, they could do something for Dead Eyes, Revenant Infantry. Yeah, well, technically, mummies, no one drinks mummies anymore. Like... Like, every once in a while, you take, like, a, well, you take a regiment or two. Like, 
But it's not like back in the last edition when you first played me, I was running two to four. And now I need 2,500 points. Like, the grown-ups would play. Anything else uh, you would want to change in the list, Dustin? Other than what's already been said, I have no uh, no plans for it. All right. Uh, I, I will say I would like to see diversity in our character options. I think that is one thing that really lacks when it kind of shows that none of us uh, or maybe one of us is taking a non-living legend character. Um, Aren't He's you, Matt? Pharaoh chariots, but those are really good. Yeah, they're oh, just okay. hard to fit in lists with Bone Giants and Shobik and things like that because it's just right. Of but yeah, we've got like six different characters, and like two of them get used. Right. Cursed High Priest, they are very customizable, but for what you were getting in second edition, you're looking at like 30, 40 more points in this edition, which some of it's warranted, but some of it's also a little over the top. Uh, Revenant Champions only have niche uses. Uh, Army standard bears don't really get used because we don't need the Bane chant because um, we already have a million crushing in the list and we have enough inspiring from a couple very inspiring sources. Um, we talked a little bit about the burrowing worm. He doesn't get used much. He lost inspiring, so you can't use him as a little um, Sherpa to carry your bone giants across the board with some inspiring. Uh, some people still take the flying of burrow or just for like a mini. Yeah, happy. the flying. Yeah, he was really good. He got. I think he got a little nerfed in the last edition because he was a little bit overtuned. I think the nerve got knocked down on yeah, him. Yeah, he wasn't so peasy. Was, but but no. he was still a really solid, really cheap um, flying dragon that you could get use out of and and putting uh, sharpness or something like that on him or even just blade of slashing he got a lot of bang for the buck even if he wasn't as you know tuned to say a basilian or an elf dragon but yeah to your point adam we're like we use the special characters and no no that's it i'm done so what i'm going to do now is uh rob put up a post on the facebook page for countercharge and we're just going to kind of go through and rapid fire uh free for all questions that were on the page so uh, I'm going to skip over the one that what are the auto-includes for the army, and the answer is some sort of enslaved guardians and two to four living legends. Um, I'm also going to skip over the one where Dan asked if I'm ever going to do another army because that's just rude. Here's an interesting one from uh, Steve Forrester. He says, uh, you can only take one of the following, and which do you choose and why? Monolith, Shobik, or Soul Snare? I already know Dustin's answer is Shobik. What's your answer, Adam? Monolith. I would probably take Shobik over Monolith. But if you had the choice uh, of D, Apophis, you would take that? Yeah, if Apophis was on that list, Apophis would be first. I'm thinking of if we go to lower points games and things I can usually fit in, I will actually be the, the dissenting opinion and go the, the Soul Snare is really helpful because you can get kind of that heal and the plink shooting if you can't get other shooting in your list, that can at least help you clear out chaff. So, very diverse answer from all of us there. This one's for you, Dustin. It's, uh, when did it get so cold in the Empire of Dustin that all the enslaved guardians became ice elementals? Well, that happened with its freeze after Aircut. Yeah, rolling blackouts or the second scenario that we had at Lone Wolf. Yeah, they, they, they incentivized me too much. With making a mantic army, I had a lot of mantic <laughs> Northern Alliance uh, Kickstarters. So I'll throw this out there to the table. Uh, Nick Brooks asks, uh, "Give us the elevator pitch. Why play EOD in third when normal undead is uh, quote unquote better?" Uh, that's a lie. Put by fake news. No one believes that. First of all, undead is for scrubs. I said it here. That's for the easy mode. 
what are you gonna take? Two Soul Reaver infantry, you're gonna take some caps, some whites, you're gonna take some wraiths. Oh look, back in the day you used to run one character. That's all you took, Morgie. It's like, I'm sorry, it's it was the cookie cutter build. It's all we ever saw. And I was like, guess what? It always lost. When did it win a GT? Did it ever win one? Not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. And guess what? If I don't know it, it ain't a real GT. And I, I would just kind of hop on with Dustin. Like, if you actually want a challenge and get to a higher tier, higher level army, it's EOD. Easy mode is undead. Yes. Yeah. I, I've often joked that uh, because I, I will switch between EOD, undead, and a, a, a couple of other armies as well. But every time I switch to undead, it is it is very much like, holy cr crud. Uh I've, I've taken off the training weights that I've been using every time I play EOD. So I would argue that I would, I would play EOD to learn how to understand Kings of War better because it's a much more finesse army than Undead is. And then once you've done that, then you can switch to Undead if you want. If that's a better style for you, if you don't like the surge shenanigans of EOD, and you want to play something a little bit more standard, you can switch over to Undead. And it, you, will, you will feel the, the power switch. Uh, but you'll be a better player for it. Yeah, just EO, uh, EOD is is definitely finesse, and Undead is just hit face, keep hitting face. You're, gonna, Go you're always gonna with Undead. You're always gonna pass the mid table. Now, if you go to the top table, that's gonna take skill. Which there's people who do that. The problem is EOD. If you want to be mid table, you have to be somewhat competent. There's no Soul Reaver infantry. Oh, I'm just gonna hit you and kill you. You have to know what you're doing, and that's the thing is Undead still. That's why Undead so popular with everybody because it's easy mode. Just like back in version 2 or low points, you have alpha strike, you're going to win. You called me middle table and competent. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. <laughs> Alright, skipping on, Mark Taylor asked, uh, what aspect of the army do you feel is the most half-baked or incomplete that you would like to see Mantic expand upon the rules or models for? Caskets. Dustin's got me already. Yeah, uh, yeah ca caskets I feel are... I know we've harped on it already. I guess I'll expand upon that and try to add another angle to it, which is that unlike every other upgrade in the game where you have, like, especially you look at the Undead, when you got Life Leech, you just pay extra points for it. Um, you have uh, most of the other armies, you've got some kind of reroll mechanic that's baked into the unit, either a reroll three wounds, reroll three hits, um, but they're all activated by the unit that buys the upgrade, whereas with EOD, the casket is an upgrade that has to be activated by an entirely separate unit that may never actually get that option over the course of the game. I would actually be okay with caskets even just casting. Like, self-surge is something that's kind of a hard thing to push, and I think there's a lot of issues with suggesting that even. But... I would love it. Yeah, I'm sure Amen. everyone here would love that idea. But even just some way that caskets make the unit actually able to use them without needing to have a high priest without needing to have that surge upgrade somewhere else before you even get to use this upgrade, uh, I think is is really a big difference in design and, and it's not a good difference in design. Uh, there's been a couple of different people, so I'm not gonna call them out by name, but uh, I feel like this goes in your direction, Dustin. Uh, Bone Giants versus the Undead Worm. If you only had to choose one, which one? Oh, that's actually a tough decision for me. Because they did hurt my boy, uh, the, the uh, Bone Daddy. But uh, Boner Dragons are just fun. Like, uh, if you're going for a competitive, like, Masters list, probably Bone Giants. But if you're going for, like, like an event like this where you have wonky missions and you have a monolith, without a monolith works, 
the Marlins' best friend is two boners. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Oh, because when you get a bone daddy in the butt, that's the best. 30 attacks, crushing three, maybe on fours, but it doesn't matter when it's not there anymore. You're going to have a bad time. If you pizza when you're supposed to hot dog, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to have a bad time. Someone asked, it says, how much surge does an EOD army need? Not much. Depends. Do you have the monolith or not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Monolith takes up two caster slots, in my opinion, for the price of less than one. The most I've ever ran was three, and that's at 2,500 points. I was using them more as heal junkies than any. That was version two. Now, heck, even for the monolith, I could run to, uh, 2,300 easily which is two. So I, I don't think it's so much about a specific number of surge, so much it's a, about a number of casters. I would agree I, with that. I, yeah, I think I think the big agreement that we could all come to at this table is you, you probably want at least two, um, bare minimum. A monolith uh, and one other or three, I think. Right. Um, I, I tend to skirt pretty, pretty light. I think I had 12 surge dice total uh, in my... my faster EOD list, but that's mostly, again, you're looking for those low surges. Um, you want more than one caster because that gives you a little bit more flexibility on the table. The monolith helps a lot with that because you've got uh, the range with it. Um, you could almost get away with just the monolith because people still have to respect surge, but having at least two means that they can't try to overwhelm uh, your surge options um, because in theory, if you have enough stuff to flank around things, then no one can, you won't have enough stuff to surge stuff to get those those juicy flanks. The number of casters is a perfect example. You Just like, it doesn't matter your unit strength, it's more about the amount of units that score, right? The one thing I will say is there is a benefit to taking three surge casters. That once you're in the 20 range for surge, that single 50 mil becomes a torpedo. That bone dragon becomes a torpedo. Not anything becomes a torpedo. If you're looking at 24, maybe six more rerolls, so up to 30. If you play it right, you could get a 15 extra surge. Okay, good. You know, you're you could almost get it. You could threaten people with enslaved guardian at 20 inches away. I would uh, honestly advise against just going with a monolith, though. Uh, it is a titan. It is easily seen and potentially can be killed. And if that's your only surge in the entire list, uh, not, not good. Pro tip, if you want to really hurt an Empire Dust player, go after their surge casters. The model is really easy to get to, but he's also really forgettable in most lists. But if that's the only thing you've got going, people will direct fire to make sure that shuts down your main way of doing harm. Uh, one of the last questions I want to talk on is Jonathan Quayle asked, has anybody used any of the wind blast options with success and any specific unit combos around it? I'll say this. I used uh, double enslaved guardians with wind blast uh, back in early third when um, catapults were absolutely disgusting, and I think I made dwarf players cry. Uh, they just couldn't reach me, and I think I pushed Golic behind a hill six times and just railed him with catapults until he died. Do you have any opinions on the matter, Dustin? Yeah, a wind blast was good when I was forced to take it. Uh, when they started making me have the option, I was like, I couldn't justify it. I always seem to need points somewhere else. But it's still useful to look at if you have drain life. If you have drain life and then you push someone away, uh, you can do the same thing with your shooting, but usually you're 30 inches any. If they're coming that close, you want to, I'd rather have enthrall so I can pull and then surge, if anything. But you could also push away their inspiring, which is common. You push away this chargers, you, and if you're 
if you're really good with maybe a nimble unit, that'd be that would be fun because then you could get to the side, push them one way, and get another flank search. That's a lot of maneuvering. I would say that wind blast is typically uh, used to make a hole, which our army you could dedicate to doing that with wind blast. You could also just kill a unit and make a hole. Yeah, yeah I, I am very much in Adam's corner here where the points spent on wind blast could be better spent on just killing a thing. Um, more importantly, I think that a lot of, if, if there was kind of a thing I would, I would advise newer players to avoid is there's this kind of mentality with the wind blast units in EOD that's like, oh, you've got wind blast, you've got surge, obviously you're going to get this awesome like push and surge and get a flank that wasn't there at the beginning of the turn. And people, like, on paper, that sounds really cool. But there are a lot of the same units. Either it's your charging unit has to do the wind blast, which isn't the direction you want to go, or it's coming from your same unit that also has to cast surge, so you can't double tap anymore without a fireheart item. It, 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 it feels great on paper, but it's not as actionable in real life. It just doesn't happen. Like, the amount of times that you see this, this delicious, you know, wind blast into surge combo, or even enthralled into surge combo, which is what people, like, that, that was the big uh, potential with enthrall if you were to add that to EOD even. Um, I, would, I would advise against that as well, because it, it, you just don't really get those opportunities. And it, when they do happen, there were, were all, probably always going to be better options anyway. Yeah, and I, I feel like Windblast and Enthrall, they, they're trying to take advantage of opportunities that aren't given or aren't there. Uh, I think uh, us as Empire Dust players really look for the opportunities and the mistakes, the potential mistakes, or potentially our opponents have no options, really. But we really look for those openings and uh, you know capitalize on those when they occur. We don't really need the wind blasts in order to make that happen. And I feel like a lot of the spells in that realm, the enthrall and the wind blast, are priced as if you're going to always get the the maximum possible return. When in realization, you're barely ever getting any return out of them. So with that said, I think we've talked about everything we can talk about. So I'm going to go one by one and try to get everyone's parting thoughts. Uh, so Adam, let's throw it over to you. Uh, if you're looking for a really fun army to play, it's EOD. Uh, like I said, I, I was an elf player all the time before. I got bored, I wanted to play something different, and Empire Dust has kept my entertainment for over a year and a half, and it's still going. Matt, what about you? Uh, well, I started out with a meme list, uh, and that meme list became a good list, uh, and then now it's a completely different list. Uh, but I'll say this, uh, EOD has definitely been one of my favorite armies, uh, and I, I, no matter how often I try to get off of it, I keep coming back to it and playing something something new and different with the same uh, same style of, of army. Uh, and it may be different than our, our other EOD compadres here on this table, uh, but it is, it is still a very distinct and fun list to get to write stuff with. Dustin, what are your thoughts? I think EOD is one of the armies we'll keep coming back to over and over again. And it's a good one for you. If you don't, if you don't play it, you need to play against it. It's going to help you understand not just surge, but your counterpunching. EOD is a king counterpuncher. So, like I said, play, play, play. That's the best uh, advice I can give. And and for me, it's it's a love hate affair. I've played it poorly for so long, but uh, it's one the only army I have because I'm a terrible, terrible hobbyist. And but it it does really keep pulling you back. And it's not just the 
not just the the units themselves, but what what drew me in was actually the lore. A lot of that, like even though it's not a direct um, parallel to Panathor, what's in there, but Egyptian mythology is freaking sweet. You get mummies, you get pharaohs, you get skeletons, necromancers. Those are all really really cool things. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you just you keep picking it up, you keep pushing the dusty graves forward, and you punch that hole in the middle of the army and take advantage of it. And with that, everyone, remember to keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.